How y'all doing? And welcome back to the Cold Seat Podcast, where the seats are cold and the takes are hot. Episode 42 here on this Saturday, uh, March 18th. Getting a pretty good episode in today. A uh, good bit of stuff to cover. I'm going to cover NBA, uh, golf update, some March Madness as that kicked off on Thursday. We're going to each touch on three of the biggest or three moves we liked from the first wave of free agency as that has just about concluded. Getting into the second wave here. I'm going to see some guys probably sign pretty sparingly, but not nearly at the rate we did earlier this week. And then wrap it up with the ice bath. So let's get it going. Um, we'll turn up the heat to start like we normally do. And my hot take is that no dessert with fruit is good. When it comes to sweets, I'm not picky. But if you throw like apples or something in it, it I think it's terrible. I like literally any dessert without fruit, but if it has fruit, I I can't do it. So you're so you're not picky with dessert except for like half of them. I've never except for like a good it, it, minimum third a third of popular desserts, if not more, have fruit. I've All never, I'm hearing is you're not picky with some of them. I mean, I I like key lime pie. I guess limes a fruit. Right? That doesn't count. That doesn't that doesn't count. Limes a fruit, but like. That doesn't count. It's like, that doesn't count. Same deal. Doesn't count. Yeah, I honestly don't like any desserts with fruit. Pumpkin pie is good, but that doesn't count. Yeah, it does. Well, I guess, it's, I guess it doesn't, but... I guess, so, okay, we'll do this. Pies that, like, the, the fruit is pureed or, like, kind of, like, the flavors in there doesn't really count. So you're fine with flavors. You're just, like, the, like the whole fruit. So, so you can't eat cobbler. No, I hate peaches, but such a, that's such an that's first of all, that's an element of itself because, it, you know, I love peach everything. Second of all, bro, cobbler is so good. Like a nice little like blueberry cobbler. You can't you can't ride with that. No, oh, I hate blueberries. Gosh, but also, I, mean, I know all this, but like, I mean, I know you're picky, but I just I can't. I can't this is a take. I, most of the stuff your takes I'm cool with. I can't get behind this one. Like, even apple pie, it's just, like, the chunks. Like, it's like pasta sauce. If that stuff has chunks in it, I can't do it. It's just stuff with I'll chunks. Give you the, I'll give you this. Apple pie is definitely overrated. I'll give you that. Like, a good apple pie, like, it's good, but it's not the best. Now, I'll tell you what's underrated is cherry pie. Talk to me about that. I'm just yeah. Have you ever had, like, a cherry pie or a cherry cobbler? The answer's got to be no. Yeah, I probably haven't. But I don't like cherries, so I'm not. Get my hopes up. You ever you ever had rhubarb? I know. Okay, this is a bad question. You've never had rhubarb pie, correct? Uh, I don't think so. Oh, dude, rhubarb pie is so fire. There's a place in uh in Marble Falls, Texas, which is in the Hill Country. Um, it's 40-ish minutes outside Austin. 40, man, we're like an hour from downtown Austin. Um, from where we live, it's like 40-ish minutes. A place called Blue Bonnet Cafe. Brother, talk to me. Get the best I've pie ever. They have a really good rhubarb pie there. Um, heard of that. But yeah, um, I'll get on to my hot take since we'll, we'll quickly, swiftly move away from Brett's hot take this week of, of no fruits on dessert. Um, my hot take this week is that uh, Miller Light is the best light beer, and it's not even particularly close. Um, like of like the main like, you know, Bud Light, Coors Light, Miller Light. Um, you could even throw like a Corona in there, Bush Light. Um, you could get, let's see, Mick, like Mick Ultra can be thrown in there. Like all like the like the pretty big light beers. 
that you see in the grocery stores, uh, Miller Lite's by far the best. Um, I'm of the belief that you just like whatever your dad drank growing up. Like everyone has like their first sip of beer and they're like, yeah, however old for the most part. And like you get like a little swig and then it's like, you know, you don't actually have a beer till later on or whatever. But I'm of I'm of the belief that Miller Lite's the best. That's what my dad drinks. And that's what my grandpa drinks. Like it's almost exclusively with beer for my grandpa. But um, Miller Lite's the best light beer. 100 percent. I, I, I thought about this today. When we were in the car at home from the baseball game because they only they have Coors Light, which is very similar because um, it's brewed by the same company. Miller Coors is all the same. Um they have they usually they always have Mick Ultra and Bud. I'm not a big fan of either. If I have to choose, I'm, I'm picking Bud Light of the two. Um, if I'm not watching my carbs, but if I'm if I'm watching my carbs, I'm not getting a beer. At, I'm not getting a nine dollar beer at a baseball game. Um, or a football game for that matter, whatever. Um, but no, Miller Lite's definitely the best. It was on the brand today. I was like, man, if they only had Miller Lite, it'd be so much better. Um, I will throw in though, Lone Star Light is a sneaky good beer as well. Uh, it's not everywhere. I think it's mostly in, only in Texas. Um, I haven't seen it anywhere else. It's pretty. It's pretty. I mean, most people know it like Lone Star, Lone Star Light, but very popular in Texas. I'm a big fan of Lone Star Light. It's a solid change of pace. Um, but yeah, Miller Light is the superior light beer. Yeah, I agree with uh, you know, kind of like what your dad like because my dad never really drank light beer at all since at least I've remembered. He never really does. He has a uh, kegerator, so he normally gets he'll get a, a light one in the summer, but normally it's you know lagers, a little bit darker beers, uh, IPAs. So I'm not a huge fan of Miller Lite just because I never really had it like as much like like you said. In my case, my dad didn't drink it growing up, so I never really drank it. I didn't really like it as much. Um, but, yeah, definitely. I get where you're coming from, though. And uh, it wouldn't be my favorite light beer, but it's definitely not the worst. No, I, I know you're a Coors guy. Um, but, again, I can respect – listen, if I have to pick, like, I'm picking Coors Light over Bud Light and Mick Ultra and all that stuff every every day of the week. Um, it's very similar to Miller Light, I think. Um but no, definitely, definitely Miller Light. Um, but yeah, I mean, light beer is solid. Obviously, you know, those that are of age can enjoy uh, responsibly. Oh, we're, we're a very pro drink responsibly podcast, of course. Um, that kind of wraps up turning up the heat today. Got it pretty hot. I think I think the dessert, the, the, the your take today was pretty hot. That, that's an unpopular one. That's that's the take. I talked about this with my Toyota take, where it's like the picture from what is it, uh, Tangled, where the dude, where the dude in the yeah. movie, he's got like all the knives at his throat. That 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 may have been yours today. That may have been your first like real, like that's gonna be unpopular. Like mine was like the Toyota trucks one. Um, but I like it. Get a little spicy to start the pod today. But that'll that'll kind of push us towards the NBA here. Um, little Western Conference, Eastern Conference uh, standings updates, and we've thrown in since Brett. Uh, Brett's team is in the running for the first pick. We'd said throw in the first pick odds as well. Um, but I'll get it rolling here at the Western Conference. Um, Timberwolves in an eighth place, 35 and 36, 12 games back. Got the Warriors at 36 and 35, 10 games back. Got the Mavericks, or sorry, that the Warriors should be 11 games back. My bad. Mavericks are 36, 35 as well, 11 games back. Also, Clippers are 37, 34, 10 games back. The Suns of Phoenix, 38 and 32, eight and a half back. Grizzlies and Kings both sit at 42 and 27, four back of 
the leader of the whole, basically the whole season, the Denver Nuggets, sitting at a 47 and 24 record. So the fourth best in the NBA. Um, a lot of discrepancy between the East and West this year, kind of all around, but um, still pretty tight, kind of from what four to fourth. I mean, through like 13, it feels like, or I mean, probably not 12, 13, but like 12. Um, it's pretty tight, kind of between a couple games, and you get certainly get into like, you know, from where the Mavs are at seven. I guess the Mavs tied at seven with the Warriors. Um, I guess tied at six with the Warriors at 11 back. I mean, you go, um, you know, a few teams down. You got the the Rockets and or no, not the Rockets are the Thunder and the Lakers are the next two out. I think they're just both staying at 12 and a half games back or so. So I mean, it's pretty tight um, throughout the bottom of the Western Conference. The plan should be tight. Um, obviously, I mean, you know, we have no idea. I mean, the Warriors and Timberwolves could go into the playoffs seven and eight and not actually make it. So. Um, should be interesting as we kind of get on the stretch here in the Western Conference. Um, can be a lot tighter than the Eastern Conference, it looks like. Yeah, for sure. Um, these rankings really haven't changed much. The Grizzlies and Kings flipped. The Suns, Clippers, Mavericks have all been around four, five, six, pretty much the whole season. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, the Nuggets have been at the top, seems like, the whole season. The Spurs, what, lost 16 in a row, and, you know, they beat the Nuggets, but they can't beat anyone else. So. A little confusing, but the Nuggets are really good. They have a well-rounded roster, finally healthy, uh, so it should be fun to see how far they go. Um, is he, oh, terms, work, work quick, sidetrack. Is Jokic your MVP right now? Where do you sit on this? This is I a think, heated NBA topic. I think Embiid is. Embiid's probably. I agree my with MVP. you. I I agree with that. I think I think right now it's Embiid. Got to be. The way they've been playing since the break, too. I mean, they, he's been he himself has been on when that team's been playing really good basketball too. So I think it's Embiid. But I want to get your take because it's a pretty – ESPN had quite the time with that um, a few weeks ago. And was it uh, Kendrick Perkins got dragged through the mud, rightfully so, for his take? J.J. Redick yeah. took him to took him to the woodshed, it felt like. Um, I, mean, I just wanted to interject there. We're talking about the Nuggets. Uh, get your take on how you felt about, um, you know, where the MVP race is at. And I'm with you. I think it's Embiid right now. Yeah, I feel like it will be. I mean, they're sitting third right now in the East. Um, I mean, they could get to second. Who knows, maybe even win it. But we only have about a dozen games left, so you never know um, what can happen down the stretch here. But for the East, in eighth, we have the Hawks. They're 515 games back. The Heat are 38 and 33 in seventh. They're 12 and a half back. Got the Brooklyn Nets at 39 and 31. They're 11 back. New York Knicks at 42 and 30, they're nine back. Cleveland Cavaliers at 45 and 28, six and a half back. Philadelphia 76ers, 47 and 22 at two and a half back. The Celtics are 49 and 22 at one and a half back, and the Bucks are 50 and 20. So the Bucks and Celtics flip. Celtics have been at the top pretty much the whole season um, before the last you know five days or so when they passed the Celtics. Um, you know I think. The East is definitely better, but it's also a little more spread out. I mean, really, it's a three-team race for the top, being that the fourth team, the Cavs, are six and a half out. The top three are separated by two and a half games. So any of those three teams could win the division. Obviously, the Bucks need to win probably nine more to clinch the division uh, or clinch the conference one seed, but it should be fun. Um the bottom half of, rank, of the rankings really haven't changed much. It's just the order of the top is really all that's changed recently. Um, so overall, pretty much the same throughout most of the season. 
It's going to be a three-horse race at the top. Kind of, We kind of saw it coming the past few weeks, too. Um, it would have taken the Cavs going on a run. Um, and they just haven't, which is fine. They're still going to be competitive. Um, I think the top four is firmly set. I don't think the Knicks are going to catch the Cavs. Um, but yeah, we'll see. I, I just feels like it's going to be Bucks, Celtics, Sixers. You know, like I said, a three-horse race. Um, I, do think, I do think the Sixers are going to at least pass the Celtics. They're playing really good ball right now. Um, and I just think they're going to – Embiid's hot. I think they're going to – if they can ride that into the playoffs. Um, I like him going through the Eastern Conference. It's going to be tough. But, again, I think they – if they, it'd be big if they could pass the Celtics, um, kind of getting in there. But again, maybe it doesn't really matter because it's probably going to be Nets or Heat that they see. So I don't really know if there's a huge difference in those two teams they're going to play. Um, I think you maybe maybe want to play the Nets over the Heat. Um, I know the Heat have been really cold lately. Um, no pun intended, I suppose. But um, yeah, the Nets are just they're just not a very talented roster. Uh, ben Simmons ain't going to beat you in, in six seven games. So. Um, Interesting to see, kind of see how this plays out. I think seeding is going to be big, um, kind of for these three and four seeds uh, in the East, and then obviously we got to see what happens with play-in. But um, nonetheless, kind of a um, like I said, three horse race in these comments, kind of kind of as we expected, kind of watching these rankings throughout the season. Um, then we'll get to the first pick odds here. Um, Hornets are 22 and 50, five and a half games back of the best odds. These are the four worst odds, four I guess four worst records. I guess I'll kind of explain a little bit before we start. I'll give some context to these. So the NBA does it's like in the NFL, the worst team, the worst team gets the first pick. Um, it used to be that way in the MLB. They've also shifted to do a lottery. So in the NBA, um, you know, all the all the teams that don't make the playoffs, they get what called what are called lottery picks, and they have odds at the first overall pick. So the worst team has the best odds at the first pick, but they're not guaranteed the first. It's basically to prevent tanking. Um, They've had it for a long time because in basketball, I mean, it's it's a it's what a 12 man roster, 13 man roster with a reserve. Um, one guy can make so much difference for a team, right? They can they can take a team from being one of the worst in the league to a playoff a playoff team. So it's to prevent tanking for people. This is a year where you would have seen tanking for the first pick. Like you would have seen teams actively looking to lose games to get the first overall pick to take. I'm not gonna try and say his name. You can say his name, Brett. I don't know. I I bet you know how to pronounce it. I don't. I, it's Victor. I don't know how to say his last name. Everyone calls him Wemby. Victor Wembanyama. There we go. I knew you'd know how to say it. You you you've been in on this guy for like eighteen months. You, we have been <laughs> talking about it, Spurs drafting him for the better part of a, at least a year. Um, but no, basically, the NBA does to prevent tanking. So all these teams that don't make the playoffs, they get lottery odds, and you know the worse your record is, the better your odds are. Typically, a team with like Bottom four odds gets the top pick. It's interesting. I'd have to go back and look, but I don't. It's not all like not always is the does the, the worst team get the first pick. And you, so there's some years you get screwed. Like oftentimes, like if you're a, a team picking the you know bottom five record, and you don't get a top three pick, like that's that's tough for you. So if you're like a bottom three team, you're typically good for like the first three picks or where you want to be um, most years in the NBA. I feel like and. It, at least at least one every year of the bottom three teams does not get a top three pick. Um, but that's I kind of just want to let you get the uh, the odds here for these. Yeah, so like you said, the Hornets are five and a half games back of the league's worst record. Uh, the Rockets are two and a half back. The Spurs are as well. Uh, they're both sitting at 18 and 52. And then the worst record in the league is the Detroit Pistons at 16 and 55. So the Pistons are ahead of everyone else by two and a half games so over the final 
12 games, they only have to lose nine to clinch the number one pick. They have to go three and nine at worst to clinch the pick. Now they or can clinch lose the best odds. Right. If they can lose more, obviously, but they have to lose at least nine. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. Just covering the standings, first pick odds. Next time we do standings update in a couple of weeks, we might have like one game left. Um, you know, be right at the end of the regular season. We'll probably be previewing playoff matchups and stuff like that. Um, but for this episode, we're going to move on to golf. Well, real quick, I will say, correct me if I'm wrong, is it not, is it, it's two players this year. Like, you want to have a top two pick this year. It's either Wemby or it's Scoot Henderson. And then the third is like, yeah, nobody knows. Is Am I wrong? Yeah, no, that's right. That's what I thought. Because I, I don't, I mean, there's nobody in college is like, man, I got to pick this guy first. Like, obviously, Keontae George is probably going to be the first, like, shooting guard off the board out of college. But um, not a great year um, kind of for college kids. Obviously, Kendrick Davis probably up there as well. But um, just wanted to make sure I was right on that and kind of add some context there for this year. Because we'll, we'll cover this when we get into June um you know for the draft just wanted to kind of preface that there before we get to golf yeah definitely there's top two guys um they'll probably go victor one scoot two so it's gonna depend on who has the pick uh but the top two guys are gonna be pretty set in stone Uh, i think it has been for a while unless something crazy happens um but i doubt that'll happen i think those guys possess tools and traits that aren't going to be denied so It'll be fun to see how they their games translate to the league. Um, but getting into golf here, so last weekend we had the iconic Players Championship. It's the biggest non-major of the PGA Tour season. It was played at TBC Sawgrass in Pontevedra Beach, Florida. Um, it had a purse of $25 million, and the best player in the world, Scotty Scheffler, he won the event by five shots at 17-under. He took home a whopping $4.5 million. Uh, he was the only player to shoot sub-70 all four rounds, shooting 68, 69, 65, 69. And the low rounds across the tour were 64, 67, a course record 62, which I'll get into a little bit uh, at the end of the episode, and 65 on Sunday. So overall, pretty good weekend of golf. Uh, the course played pretty tough, you know, especially the par threes. Um I mean, 17-under winning event is an impressive, definitely one of the higher scores. A lot of the times you see more like 11 or 12-under winning events, but I guess Sawgrass played a little bit easier this week than what they thought probably going into it. Um, but nonetheless, one of the great events on tour, one of the best courses in the world, uh, definitely an event, an event I want to attend someday. It was a great weekend to golf, too. I mean, I think we went into days one, two, and three with different leaders. Um, I guess Dale, you wanted that you finished rounds one, two, and three with different leaders, um, which was great. I mean, I think obviously Scotty at a 65 is awesome. Um, oh, what was his name? Is it Tom or Tim? Tom Hoagie. Hoagie. Yeah, Tom Hoagie set a course record this week. I mean, he's awesome. He shot a 62, put himself what in third place going into going into round four. I mean, it was an incredible round. So we saw some really good golf this weekend. Obviously, Scotty with a 65. Um, it was really impressive. Um, I mean, two off the course record prior to prior to this weekend. So, um, I mean, Scott, he's 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 so red hot. I mean, he's almost white hot right now. He's he's playing incredible golf. Continued into this weekend. Um, it was really good to see good good golf play all around. Kind of sporadic scores like Hoagie went 
shot a 62 on day three, and then I think he shot over 72. He went over par, I'm pretty sure, on, on day four, um, if I'm not mistaken. So it was, it, was a, it was a crazy, just kind of a crazy weekend, a lot of sporadic scores. Um, but overall, man, it was awesome. Well, we had two two Eagles or two hole-in-ones. I think two or three. I, think, I can't well, remember. I, I mean, I mean, it's gonna happen on on 17 there, but um, nonetheless, I mean, it was a, it's a it's a great course to watch a golf tournament at. Just like you know, there's some courses that just the holes are really cool. The holes are challenging in different ways, and it's it's and it's just different. It's unique. Um, that's what I love about about Sawgrass, and um, it didn't disappoint this weekend for sure. So um, really fun weekend to golf, and um, you know, hopefully that's kind of what's to come um, for the majors this year. Cause it's like you said, it's the biggest non-major of the whole tournament on tour. Um, so hopefully it's a sign of things to come for the, for the majors this year. Yeah, for sure. Obviously first major is the masters in early April, about two weeks away. So hopefully we get some good golf there. Obviously the live tour guys are going to be included in the majors. So it's going to be a loaded field. So it's going to be really, really interesting to see who comes out on top from that. Tourney. Early Masters um, pick? Let's see. I don't know if I'm taking Scotty. I mean, hard not to, but it's no, the world number one never wins the Masters, I feel like. I think Spieth was one when he won it. But rarely does like the world number one actually go win the Masters. They're always competitive. I don't know if they win it always. Let's see. I got to think. Putting you on the spot I here. might. I might go Rory. I was thinking Rory, dude. He's always dude, he always plays up for the majors. And yeah, he, he played a good he played a good four rounds of golf this weekend too. Yeah. I mean he was second to Scotty in the Masters last yeah. year. Um obviously with the hole out on, you know, eighteen on the last day. Um but the Masters is the only major he hasn't won. So if he wins that, he'll complete the tour grand career tour grand slam. Um I'm pulling for him. So I'm going with Rory. He's having some issues with the his clubs the past week, the newest rollout of the TaylorMade line. And so he's going back um, to a couple clubs, switching a couple clubs that he liked more uh, from previous, you know, within the past two years. So should pay off for him. Nonetheless, um, you know, still top three golfer right now, I'd say. Um, but as for this weekend, I guess two days ago on Thursday, the Valspar Championship at Ennisbrook Resort, the Copperhead Course in Palm Harbor, Florida, teed off. The purse is 8.1 mil, so a little bit smaller of an event. Uh, Sam Burns has won the event the past two years, in 2021 and 2022. If he were to win tomorrow, uh, the final round, he would be the fifth golfer ever to win the same event three years in a row. And through three rounds, he's currently tied for 25th and seven shots back at one under. So while it's uh, not looking like he's going to three-peat, uh, nonetheless made the cut and is playing pretty well. Currently, the leader is Adam Shank at eight under, and in a tie for second at seven under, we have Tommy Fleetwood and Jordan Spieth. So uh, those two guys playing pretty well, pretty consistent, especially Jordan as of late. So it's anyone's win right now. I mean, anyone can go home with a trophy. Um, you know, I'd say 11 under probably wins it. So if you can shoot a few under tomorrow, you'd be looking good if you're at the top of the leaderboard currently. Um, but, yeah, I don't know if Sam Burns is going to do it. Seven off, you rarely see that, um, you know, from guys that aren't, like, number one or two in the world. So um, I'd expect, you know, Adam, Tommy, or Jordan to take it home. 
I'm not gonna get a three peat here. It's unfortunate. We have to. You have to. He'd have to set like a ridiculous course record uh, to do that. But um, nonetheless, I think he's like you said. Um, looking for speed to kind of overtake here. It'd be a big one for him, especially kind of with again you know, with the Masters kind of on the horizon here. Um, playing good golf lately. Wouldn't surprise me if he did, just because he's gonna. You know, between the three of them, he's probably going to be the most consistent golfer of the group. Um, less volatile. Oftentimes you see these names that that everyone's familiar with and, and aren't, you know, top 10, top 25 golfers in the world sometimes. Um, that did aren't always consistent. Like you said, Tom Hoagie goes and shoots a course record and the next day shoots over par or at par. So happens sometimes. Um, but should be a good kind of a good fun around tomorrow. Definitely going to tune in. Um, when I get the chance, obviously, in March Madness. And Texas Tech baseball is taking up most of the kind of the eyeball time, but definitely going to check in on the scores tomorrow and see how all three of these guys are doing. And, you know, those are just kind of outside at three and four, see if they have a great day and um, kind of overtake. But um, what do we got next week? Next week uh, is going to be in Austin, the World Golf Championships Dell Technologies match play, the final year that's gonna, that it's going to be held at the Austin Country Club um, just off of Lake Austin. Are they moving so. it? Yeah, they're are moving, they moving it? it. No, oh, that sucks, dude. Where are they moving it to? I I had no idea. This I can't happened. I can't remember, uh, but I believe this is the final year, if not the penultimate year. Dude. But yeah, it's definitely one of the more fun events being match play. Um, you know, kind of a you can always stay in it and you can't lose on one hole like you can in stroke play. So, I mean, I'll be looking forward to some good matchups, good pairings, hopefully. Um, should be a fun event. I believe it's five days as well. I believe it's a five-day event. But, yeah, it pretty much wraps up the golf. Um, for March Madness, that started on Thursday with all 64 teams. After today, we're going to know the – or after tomorrow, we're going to know the Sweet 16. Today, the second round started. Um, so, you know, Thursday, Friday were the first round. Saturday, Sunday, the second round. And then next weekend, you know, Sweet 16s, Thursday, Friday – Elite Eights, Saturday, Sunday. Um, so just really just three weeks of action for this tourney. But we have seen a couple big games. Um, you know, 16-seeded Fairleigh Dickinson upset number one seed Purdue. It's the second time ever that a 16 has beat a one, uh, the first time being in 2018 when UMBC beat Virginia. Um, so big-time win for Fairleigh Dickinson. I know there was a picture out there of the differences in Purdue's arena versus Fairleigh Dickinson's are arena and it was just a crazy picture um you know fdu looks like they play in a high school gym and purdue is playing in you know probably a fifteen thousand or so um arena so definitely one of the big events of this opening of the opening round i think as we get what normally happens is as you get further along in the tournament you're not gonna have upsets because a lot of the time you don't see these you know double digit seeds going and beating high-seeded team so definitely one of the biggest upsets um in recent history probably the biggest one this year but there were some others as well probably the biggest one ever um just the way the game went i mean fdu was i mean you i don't know i think umbc had a little more of a richer culture if you will of basketball there um and the fact that virginia didn't have like the player of the year that year I mean, Purdue had the player of the year. Like, the matchup itself was Zach Eady going to be the player of the year. Um, seven, what, seven one, seven two, against a team that didn't have a guy who was taller than, like, 6'9". Homie should have – I mean, he had, like, what, 23 points? 
How do you not go for 40? How do you not literally get into him every play, make him draw, either draw the double and kick it for an open shot or work the paint and just dominate and go for 40? I, you don't see guys who go for 40 in college basketball, but like a little disappointing performance, um, you know, from the player of the year just overall. Um, but yeah, hats off to FDU, man. I mean, they had it's an incredible upset. Um, it was a great game to watch. I watched it. We watched the end of it last night at the, at the uh, Texas Tech baseball game. Um, so that was um, pretty impressive. And they're, they're actually facing off against nine-seeded FAU. So FDU versus FAU, um, I believe tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow at – if I can find the time for it, that'd be super. 6.45. Um, so tomorrow night we got a little FDU versus FAU. Should be um, – a good game. FAU looked great against the Memphis team. They were heavily, heavily favored to lose against. Um, so it was a really, good, really great game for FAU. I'm looking to keep the magic alive, but same goes for FDU. I'm pulling for FDU. Um, this will see the 16 seed get to the get to the Sweet 16 against Tennessee. Um, but another upset here, a huge upset. Um, feels like it's routine for Arizona to go in as like a top four seed and just lose. Um, at this point, 15 seeded Princeton upset two-seeded Arizona and they're actually up 36 33 to 26 at halftime against Mizzou um second half literally starting right now on TNT um I'm pulling for Princeton to win I I think it's cool when the Ivy Leagues win um you know games like this all there's I mean it used to be like they were like the blue bloods back in like you know the 30s and 40s when you know that wasn't really a thing but um you know, now it's like you don't really see the Harvards, the Yales, the Princetons. They don't really compete competitively in a lot of uh, in basically most sports. I know, like, I believe men's and women's soccer, Princeton's really good. Um, but outside of that, like, they're not really competitive in, in, you know, the major three sports of football, baseball, basketball. So cool to see Princeton get the win over Arizona. Um, man, Arizona's going to go back to the drawing board. So, I mean, so does Purdue, though. Purdue lost early last year, too. So. Two teams in Arizona and Purdue that enter as top top two seeds, um, and kind of got to go back to the drawing board. How do you approach the tournament? You you got to figure out something different, right? I mean, both of these teams in back to back years get bounced in the first round um, by lower seeded teams that they were favored by double digit points. It's like you got to figure something else out. So curious to see. Obviously, not going to fire their head coaches. That's not the right move. But you know, how do they go back to the drawing board? Purdue, especially with 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 Painter, like how do you go back to the drawing board and you know figure out a new way to approach the tournament. Um, you know, year after year, it feels like they get bounced a little too early than they should. So um, go back to the drawing board and, and figure something else out. But nonetheless, love to see um, the double digit seeds in, in Fairleigh Dickinson and Princeton pull the upsets um, on on the same day, nonetheless, or no different days. Sorry. never mind. I'm thinking of, um, I'm thinking Furman and Princeton on the same day, but um, you know, crazy game. Uh, in the Princeton game, what was the final score? It was 59-55, so tight game. Um, I'm pulling for Princeton right now. Um, and then, obviously, FDU gets FAU tomorrow, so it should be good to see. Yeah, for sure. Princeton definitely playing well, uh, playing really good teams in Arizona. Obviously, Missouri is good. Um, but another big big upset we saw was 13-seeded Furman. They beat 4-seeded Virginia. Um, so, Virginia, obviously, known for – losing to UMBC the first ever one losing to a 16 but um they didn't top it this year but they came close being a four seed losing a 13 seeded Furman like I said um yeah I mean not really a good game for Virginia at all Furman played pretty well for the stretch of the game 
Um, I like to see it, you know, being that Tech didn't make the tournament. I like to see some upsets and stuff like that. Um, makes it more interesting. Makes some for some better matchups down the stretch. And you know, obviously, you want to see the two best teams going against each other in the final. But you know, in these preliminary rounds, I think seeing some double-digit seeds, you know, advance is fun. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm since Tech's not in it this year, I'm just pulling for chaos, dude. I, that's what I want to see. Honestly. Every year I set up tech games. I just want to see lower seeds win. Um, love the underdog story. I was texting a buddy of mine yesterday, and he was all like, a little upset that it's, a game went one way. And I was like, you know, he was like, man, like my bracket's busted. I was like, dude, who cares? Pull for the pull for the chaos. I want to see it. I think we were talking about. Oh, it was the Xavier and Kennesaw State game. Because um, Kennesaw State, I mean, they I thought they had it in the bag, and then ended up, you know, folding late in the game. And he was like, thank God Xavier won. And I was like, why, dude? Why don't you want to see Kennesaw State beat him? It'd be awesome. Screw the bracket. The bracket's busted after day one anyway. So, like, pull for the pull for the madness. Pull for the chaos. That's what I'm here for. So, um, but no, I mean, it, it, I like to see the good games, too. Like, even though Kansas State didn't win, it's great to see that they gave Xavier a game, which is cool. Um, but on another note, on... Uh, kind of opposite of high seeds losing. We got three seeds and five seeds were all undefeated yesterday in round one, yesterday and the day before in round one. Although I will say Baylor was given a game by, let's see who they play. They played uh, U, uh, UC, so University of California, Santa Barbara. They gave them a game for the you know half. Um, looked like they were in trouble early. Obviously, Xavier pulled out a tight win against Kennesaw State. Um, every other five, I guess Miami with the crazy, what, 11 or 13 run to end the game. Um, but every other five and five and three really didn't play a tight game. Um, Gonzaga rolled late. Um, that Kansas state really was never in jeopardy. It's Montana state. And then St. Mary's rolled and Duke rolled. So, um, it should be good to see those games against the, you know, obviously the Duke game already happened this morning them losing to Tennessee. Um, but should be good to see, like, TCU-Gonzaga should be a good game. Kentucky-Kansas State should be awesome. Um, three versus six there. And then UConn-St. Mary's, I'm looking forward to tomorrow as well. So a lot of great matchups tomorrow. Not as many tonight. Um, you know, but the, the three I just mentioned, I'll be in tomorrow. But really looking forward to the games tonight. Uh, and then, obviously, tomorrow as well with what I feel like is some better matchups tomorrow night and tomorrow evening. Yeah, for sure. Um a lot of these teams have been here many, many times, and, you know, we see year after year that it doesn't matter. I mean, anyone can win any game, and that's the fun part about it. Uh, be looking forward to seeing who advances to the Sweet 16, what those matchups look like, and we'll have those at the end of the day tomorrow, like I said, uh, when we kicked off the basketball segment. But for now, um, you know, we're just going to roll with what we have, talk about some big upsets, and then next week we'll kind of preview the Sweet 16 and Elite 8 matchups as those are taking place next weekend. Uh, but that's pretty much it for March Madness. Nothing too much other than that. Um, before we get into the ice bath, we got some NFL stuff to touch on. Obviously, we had the free agency tampering window open on mo- Monday at 11 a.m. Central, and the new league year starting on Wednesday at 3 p.m. Central. So a lot of stuff happened this week. We had probably close to 100 total signings. In terms of big ones, we probably had 20, like big trades or signings. Um, We're each going to cover three. And we're also going to talk about the Aaron Rodgers situation as he kind of 
gave everyone a resolution on that scenario. And while a trade hasn't gone through, uh, he expressed his interest in wanting to play for the New York Jets. Um, he came out of his four-day darkness retreat uh, over in Oregon and basically said going into it, he was 90% sure that he wanted to retire and 10% that he wanted to return. And after, you know, four nights, three days, or yeah, four nights, three days, I think he went in on a Monday afternoon and came out Friday morning. Um, too long is the answer to that question. It, right. Listen, days and nights doesn't matter. Dude spent too long there. Let's just put that right, right there. Yeah, it, it was a little long. I get maybe one day doing it. Um, but yeah, a little weird doing it for that long. But hey, whatever works. Um, he came out of that basically with, he said a ton of notifications on his phone, basically saying the Packers thought they were ready to move on. He was ready to move on, um, which is obviously different from what he thought going into the retreat. Um, but yeah, expressed expressed his interest to play for the New York Jets. Basically, when the Jets uh, front office flew out to California to visit Aaron, where he lives, they basically said, "Okay, what kind of offense would you like? Like, who would you want to surround yourself with? He gave him some names. Obviously, they signed Alan Lazard to a four year, forty four million dollar deal, whom he played with this past season in Green Bay. They had a great connection uh, chemistry within them. So I think, you know, the Jets and Packers still have not agreed on terms to a trade uh, surrounding what picks would be involved in that trade. Sounds like uh, the main holdup is that the Packers want a first rounder and the Jets don't think a first rounder is appropriate. Um, so once happening. they can kind of resolve that, I don't think, I think what ends up happening is the the Packers don't get a first rounder and the Jets send a player as well, or the Packers do get a first rounder, but they send a player with Aaron to New York. So I think a player is going to be involved depending on what pick is traded. It's just what way is the player going to be involved. But ultimately, um, it's tough to kind of say who has leverage in this. You know, is it the Packers or the Jets? Because you could say the Packers have leverage because, you know, they said that they didn't want Aaron and the Jets need him. They have everyone except Aaron, a quarterback. So they, like, should be, like, pushing to get Aaron. But you could say the Jets have leverage. Because Aaron wants to play for the Jets regardless, and the Packers, if he doesn't get traded, then the Packers will walk away with nothing. So it's kind of a weird situation, kind of unprecedented um, scenario we have here. Um, but nonetheless, I think he's going to get traded to the Jets in the coming days. It's just going to be, what is that trade package going to look like? So I will I'll kind of provide my thought. I, I don't think it's going to be... a. a there, I don't think there's be a player involved. I think both teams like the guys they have. They probably can't afford to get rid of players. Like both of those teams probably can't. So what I'll give you is it's going to be conditional first is what I think. Um, largely going to hinge on does, does Aaron play in 2024? Does Aaron play in 2020? Like how, here's the thing. If I'm the Jets, first of all, I'm not sending 13 for Aaron Rodgers. He's 39 years old. I'm not sending 13 for him. Because he's not gonna, he's, he may not play for me next year. So I think even then, sending a 2024 guaranteed first is risky because I don't want to give up a first rounder for a guy who plays for one year. It's just the ROI doesn't make any sense. Um, what I do think could happen is two, one of one of two things. It's a conditional first round pick. Like, hey, Aaron's gotta gotta commit to playing by this date, and if he does, you get a first. If not. The Jets can say, hey, we'll give you a first round next year based upon – so if, like, if Aaron passes for 
4,800 yards, you get a first. If we win, if we appear, if we win a playoff game, you know, you get a first. Um, Because at that point, it's worth it, right? So, obviously, getting to the playoffs should be the standard there if they get Aaron. Um, Winning a game is different. You know, so, like, if they win the division or if they win a playoff game, they get it. Or if the Jets feel a little more confident, like, hey, we'll get to the AFC title game, you can get – you know, a pick, whether that's winning one or two games, we don't know if the one seed or there are two through seven seed that's TBD. Um, they're probably not a one seed, but nonetheless, like, Hey, if we make the conference championship game, we're giving you a first that, that seems reasonable. Um, I think it'll be either, like I said, a conditional performance based pick or conditional, like, Hey, Aaron's got to play two years for us pick, which is hard to determine, hard to ask Aaron, like, Hey man, you need to know basically by March, like if you're playing next year, which, um, you know, seems like an easy ask, but again, I'm not going to take away the human element of it. There's a lot of those human elements, to everything, which we're going to talk about in a second with our, our prospect rankings change. So, um, but nonetheless, like I said, the Aaron Rodgers situation is, um, it's interesting. I, the way he talked about it was like, Hey, like the Packers are, are holding this up. Whereas the way the media has been talking, like, Hey, Aaron's holding this up. And I, and I think we fall somewhere in the middle. Like, I think Aaron obviously told him, but he took a little longer than people would have liked. And I think the Packers aren't holding it up. I don't know. I I feel like we are somewhere in the middle because Aaron made it sound like it was all the way on his side. And the media of all the reporters made it sound like it's all the way on the Packers side. So there's somewhere, you know, in between that we fall. Um, it Like like most everything, we fall kind of somewhere in the middle with everything. Um, But nonetheless, should be. I hope it's resolved soon. The Jets or the the Packers are like, oh, we're gonna play hardball and wait till next year, like, or wait till after the draft. Like, there's no way you can't you can't trade Aaron Rodgers and not get a recoup a pick now. I, to me, the best the best the, the deal that should get through is two twos. Should be two this year and two next year, and maybe like a fourth, and that should get it done. Um, you know, I'm not trading pick 13 for him. That's for sure because I'm not gonna. I, they have holes in the offensive line. They've got to get better elsewhere. Um, but the, you know, there are avenues for the Packers to receive a pick this year. And I think that's an imperative for Jordan love is for them to receive a pick at some point in the draft this season, as opposed to, or this year, as opposed to waiting a hole in their year to recoup any value from Aaron Rodgers. You, you can't, you got, you got to get a pick now. So I think it gets done here in the next couple of weeks. Um, the jets are motivated to get it done now. I, I think the Packers should be motivated to get it done now. You know, when, who who caves first? I don't really know, but it, it'll be an interesting saga kind of to follow here as we approach April 27th. Yeah, for sure. I really hope this happens sooner rather than later. Um, but I guess technically no need to hurry. Um, it's just as long as I know it's going to happen, as long as it happens before the draft, I guess that's all that really matters. Um, we're going to each get into our three choices. Um, we each chose kind of three teams deals uh three new landing spots for guys from this past the past week the first wave of free agency um i want to kick it off here one of mine was the rams trading cornerback jalen ramsey to the miami dolphins really good pickup for miami uh winners of the deal or the trade as you know they only gave up pick 77 and tight end hunter long so a third and, you know, a tight end three or four for one of the best corners in the league is a really good pickup. Um, 
he's joining a secondary that includes obviously Xavier and Howard on the other side, Javon Holland on the back end. They just signed to Sean Elliott. Um, so really a pretty good secondary, probably the top corner duo right now. Um, so it'll be fun to see how they look, uh, obviously, you know, more competition in the AFC, but I thought this was a really good trade for Miami, a uh, good destination for Jalen as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, everyone kind of reacted like, man, they only got a third. And like, that was my reaction. I was like, damn, they only, they only got a third for him. But at the same time, like you got to think that, and no disrespect to Hunter Long, but like, no one's like, oh man, they got Hunter Long, like big win for the Rams. Like I'm sure Hunter Long's an awesome dude. And I'm sure he's a hell of a ball player. He's not nothing. He's not anything to write home about right now. And he could be at some point. I don't know. I, like I said, I'm sure Hunter Long's a great dude. But um, it, to me, what this tells me is that, like, hey, Jalen wanted to play for the for Miami, for the Dolphins. And that was made clear to both parties. And at that point, all leverage is lost. So the Rams recouped a third-round pick, which is generous considering the fact that they had no leverage. Um, you know, it's a decent move for them. They cleared the cap. Um, what's bigger is they clear the later cap, you know, look cap for you know, 2024 um, when they're going to have to make a couple of big moves. So this is definitely a long term play for the Rams and, and a very, a very win, like right now move for Miami. Um, you know, Jalen's obviously still a great corner. He's still an awesome player. Um, I think he's going to play a lot in the slot this year because I think we've seen Jalen kind of lose a little bit of a step. And this happens to every corner. Jalen's still he's still a great player. He's still going to play at probably an all-pro level, whether that's first or second team, I don't know, but he's still going to play at a great level. It's just a fact that Jalen's not the player he was two years ago and they won a Super Bowl. And that's okay. I mean, he's an aging corner. That's going to happen. Um, so definitely a win-now move for the Dolphins. Um, and I'll let you get talking since the dogs behind me want to be a little rowdy. I'll let you get talking so I can quiet him down. Yeah, I think it was a good move all around uh, obviously getting a third rounder back for the Rams isn't great nonetheless um, they did get some return on what was a you know a pretty hefty contract um, for Jalen Ramsey so I think now with him going to Miami it's like a two-year 37 million dollar deal uh, essentially so just over 18 18 and a half a year um, isn't terrible but it's not great if Jalen's not going to play to a really high level so I guess it remains to be seen if the deal is really worth it um but yeah, I mean, I think this was a good trade for both teams and it'll be fun to see how it works out. Like I said, win now. Um you're not they're not they're not looking for Jalen. They're they're not gonna resign Jalen, first of all. Someone's gonna pay him big money because of his name, which is fair. He's he Jalen's earned that right. He's a Hall of Famer. He's he was the best corner in the league for a long, long time. Um I don't think he is now. He's one of the best corners in the league. I don't think he's the best anymore. But again, he was the best for a long time. He's earned that right. But again, this is a win now move for Miami. Um, I was a fan of it. I'll get to my my big move here, or one of the moves that I liked, um, or was less liked. I was just intrigued by. Um, Kansas City Chiefs signed former Jaguars right tackle Jawan Taylor to a four-year, eighty million dollar deal, sixty million guaranteed. Here's the here's the thing that that is interesting. They signed him to play left. That's a lot, that's left tackle money, by the way. That's left tackle money, and they they paid him to be a left tackle. Like he's coming over, everyone's like, oh man, they just paid twenty million a year for a right tackle. No, no, no. Like he's playing left tackle for them. He's making the switch, which first of all is a, it's a big gamble for for KC. They guaranteed seventy five percent of that contract to him. It's a lot. I mean, sixty million is a lot of money to guarantee to him to play a position we don't know how well he's going to play at at left tackle. So it's a gamble. 
knowing Kansas City, it's going to pay off because Brett Veach is always on a heater and they don't seem to miss in free agency. They seem to make great signings and great moves. So um, an interesting one for me, for sure, just considering he's not going to be playing the position he's played his whole career in Jacksonville. Um, but I think it's a great move for Kansas City. If it pays off, it's awesome. Um, you know, it's top end money. But again, in three, in two years, when Rashawn Slater and Panay Sewell get paid, and Christian Darisaw get Christian Darisaw's get by the way, Christian Darisaw's getting paid. He's nice. So he's he's gonna get paid. Um, you know, when that is, probably gonna be in line with Rashawn Slater's money. But again, like these guys are gonna get paid, it's gonna look like a great deal because both those guys are worth twenty million dollars plus, and they should get more than that. So um, you know, going to look like a steal of K- for KC if Jawan Taylor's playing at a, at a decently high level. Um, it was an aggressive move for sure. He's probably the best tackle on the market, including the guy they let go for less money. So um, interesting move for sure, but definitely one that ain't could pay off for the Chiefs. Yeah, four years, 80 mil uh, with three quarters of that guaranteed is huge. Uh, really surprising. That they paid that, uh, I didn't think he would be a Chief, but nonetheless, I mean, He's going to play really well for him, I think. Um, obviously, when you let both tackles leave, uh, you need to make a splash, I think. So that O-line is going to be very much different, especially on the edges. Uh, obviously, IOL, you still have Trey Smith, Creed Humphrey, Joe Tooney. Um, but at the tackles, it's going to be interesting to see how they play in that offense, being two different guys there from this past season where they had Orlando Brown Jr. and Andrew Wiley. Um so, yeah, I thought this was a good signing, maybe a little bit steep on the price tag. Um, but I guess if they were bidding with other teams, it's probably what they had to do. But my second uh, choice that I picked was that the Chicago Bears, they made a ton of moves this past week. But one of the bigger ones they made was signing former Bills um, inside linebacker Tremaine Edmonds to a four-year $72 million contract. Uh, with 50 million guaranteed, so he's making 18 million a year. Obviously, they did not want to pay Roquan Smith, so they opted to, you know, they signed T.J. Edwards as well. Uh, but Edwards and Edmonds will probably be a pretty good linebacker duo uh, from year one together. Um, you know, Edmonds is a really good player, really good coverage guy, and he played well in Buffalo. Uh, I don't think Chicago is going to be really good this year. Obviously, with the division. It would always be interesting. I think Minnesota will be fine. Um, the Packers will probably take a couple steps back. Detroit could be fine for a division title. Uh, so it should be a fun division and kind of a new look NFC North this season. But I thought this move was a little interesting. I thought the price was a little steep on this one as well. Um, and the landing spot. I know they needed a linebacker, but they had signed TJ Edwards beforehand. Um, and opting to not re-sign Roquan and going with Edmonds and Edwards was a little bit interesting to me. What's interesting to me is they, they go and pay Edwards money that didn't equal but was close to what Roquan got. Um, and now I don't remember if I can Google search real quick. Um, Bears depth chart. Who was their linebacker with um, with Roquan last year? Do you remember who it was? Because I don't. I'm not sure, no. Let's see archive dates here on our lads. On 9-1, so – Week one, our lads had their depth chart, if this will load, as – man, come on now. Here we go. Uh, Roquan and Nicholas Smith, 
who was their guy in like this September? See, well, November. Who's their guy? Because I'm, I'm curious only because Roquan's one of the best linebackers in all of in all of I don't say college football. Um, because I have the can I think in college because I'm literally watching the Arkansas Kansas game in the winning second series with Arkansas about to pull an upset. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what you just texted me to about that. Um, yeah, Arkansas just beat see. Kansas. Yeah. Um, Nicholas Morrow and Roquan Johnson. So, or AJ Klein, whatever you want to call it. So, but again, is that better? Is Edmonds and Edwards better? Or is it Smith and right about league average or a little below average? Like, what's better? And I don't know the answer to that. But. It's interesting to me that they wouldn't pay Roquan, what, $8 million more the entire, like the, like literally the entire um, contract. So what's that, two two more million a year? Yeah. The, I don't, I don't get it. I don't, because what, what did you guys get for Roquan? 20, just over 20 million a year? Under 20 We signed him five years, 100 mil with 60 guaranteed. Okay, so right at 20. So th- it's a pr- pretty close to this deal, too, by the way. Why don't the Bears do that? What's going on in Chicago with that? So I don't get it. Um, you know, not not a huge a huge fan just from that perspective. But I do like them getting Edmonds and, and Edwards, and it's a great duo. Um, you know, they, they're going to play good ball together. Um, but again, it just it makes me kind of ponder, why don't you – Resign Roquan and go, and you get you. They still could have afforded to get Edwards at two million dollars more a year. So for Roquan, I just it' a little confusing. Um, but I'll get to my deal here with the Bengals signing former Chiefs left tackle Orlando Brown Jr. Um, can I just talk about the Chiefs? We'll get to the player that left them, signed with the Bengals for four years, sixty-four million dollars and thirty-one point one guaranteed. So roughly half the deal, um, guaranteed there for Orlando Brown Jr. Um, I believe he turned down a five-year, $113 million deal, if I'm not mistaken, from the Chiefs. I believe so, yeah. I'll pull it up. But I think, yeah, it was pretty steep. Tough look for old buddy. Um, uh, the final contract offered to him in uh, before the 2022 season started was six years, $139 million, which is 23.17 average. It included... A thirty point two five million dollar signing bonus and ninety five million in the first five years. So a dude seven that's point one seven million dollar decrease per year that he costed himself. Um so what, safe to say the twenty eighteen draft guys don't know how to get their money between him and Lamar. I, I just don't get it, man. Genuinely I don't understand why he declines that deal from the Chiefs, which is gr- by the way, ridiculous money. For an, for an offensive lineman now. Um, I guess beside that point, um, I, I it, Chiefs fans have been beyond overrating Orlando Brown Jr. I mean, we're talking about a guy who, a decent year. He Listen, he's not a left tackle. Can we be honest? His best ball is at right tackle. Can you agree with that? I mean, you would know better than anybody. He played great at right yes. tackle. He's a pro bowler. Yeah, he's a right legit. tackle. Thank you. So but, like yeah, good I mean, on the Chiefs for for getting a since a value at four years for sixty four, but for the level of play he's at, but like, come on now, what are we doing here? Yeah, he's definitely right tackle. When he was right tackle, and Ronnie Stanley was left tackle in twenty nineteen and twenty twenty, 
He's best he was, in the league. Yeah, I mean, he was really, really good. Um, he's probably top five right tackle at the time. And I think he still is. It's just he wants left tackle money, and he got right tackle money. I mean, on the higher end of right tackle money, nonetheless. But yeah. still, uh, a good bit off of the left tackle market uh, that he would have reset had he accepted a deal for some weird reason that he didn't. Uh, but my third and final uh, pick from the first wave of free agency is the Falcons. Atlanta, the Atlanta Falcons signed former Bengals safety Jesse Bates to a four-year $64 million deal with $36 million guaranteed. I liked the fit and I liked the contract. Uh, Jesse Bates, a guy that I've watched a good bit of being in the AFC North with the Ravens these past however many years, uh, I think five years. So Jesse Bates is a really good safety. He offers a lot on the field especially, you know, playing with a good corner and A.J. Terrell now. Um, they should be pretty well set in the back end um, in that DB room in Atlanta. But nonetheless, they have a lot more holes than that to fill. But I just thought this was a good signing. 16 a year uh, average annual value is pretty solid. Um, I think 18 is top of the market right now. So 16 is pretty good for him. Um, probably a top five safety when he's at his best. I believe Derwin got like right around $20 million. So it's pretty close to the top of the market. Um, Jesse didn't have a bad year. Just it wasn't the year he had in 2020. He hasn't really followed it up with anything that's close to that. Um, but it's still a great safety. Um, I love this. I love the move for, for Atlanta. Um, get a back end player. I still think that corners on the board for them at eight, um, which obviously we're going to talk about at length on the mock on, on, uh, on this week for Monday. But um, it, like I said, I love the move. Don't think it rules out corner. Um, it's not much sales. It's a great move for them. Um, so I get to my third signing here. Um, and really, this this is one that it, it, people talk about, like, oh, it's overrated. This guy's washed. But Steelers signing uh, former Cardinals All-Pro and then Vikings corner Pat Pete, Patrick Peterson. Um, two years, $14 million, eight and a half, or 5.85 guaranteed. I mean, that's great. It's a, first of all, it's a great deal for an aging corner. The reason you're bringing him in is to be a veteran presence. They're, listen, they're taking a corner. They have a pick at, what, 17 and a pick at 32, 33, if you want to call it that, with Miami sacrifice yeah. or forfeiting 21. Um, you know, I, I think it's a great signing. They're picking a corner with well, – it's it's tackle corner for them. That's going to happen. I don't know what order. I think tackle comes first for them just because they're still committed to Kenny Pickett. Um, and you, you have to get a left tackle for him. But, again, it's tackle corner for Pittsburgh. So – I personally, like I've told you this, I've tagged I texted you on the side of Pat Pete, like, man, his game from like a, like a physical profile, he's very similar to Keely Ringo. In fact, he just, he's such an elite athlete. I'd love to see Keely Ringo learn under Pat Pete for them to take him at 32 or 33, whatever you want to call it. Their first pick in the second round at the top of the second round. I'd love to see him take Keely Ringo. Um, I think it's a great fit schematically. I think he would love to play under over Mike Tomlin as anybody would. Hold on one second. The dogs are just being menaces. Sorry about that. Just wanted to get the room a little quiet. I don't know if you could hear it or not, but I could definitely hear it. Um, I don't think so. But um, I, I love Keeley to the Steelers now. I thought it was a good fit anyways, but learning from Pat Pete, a guy who's a, a supreme athlete, being able to learn how to use your athletic ability to your strength would be awesome for him. Um, I, I like the deal a lot. Again, I don't think Pat Pete is the elite CB1 he once was, but he's still a good player. He's still a solid CB2. He's great for a room full of younger players. Um, 
you know, so I'm a big fan of this move for the Steelers. Um, and I think for Pat Pitt, I think it's cool that he gets to go there. He's not going to win a ring there like he said he wanted to. But I think it's an opportunity for him to be a great vet, a great leader, um, lead the locker room in a new direction, help Kenny Pickett kind of just lead the team. I mean, listen, outside of TJ, most of those guys that were on the team with Ben are gone. Most of those guys, the vets, are not there anymore. So um, getting another vet in the building, a leader, a proven a team captain, perennial captain for the Cardinals um, is good for the Steelers. And I thought it was a great signing. Yeah, I thought it was as well. Um, overall, I think he's going to provide some leadership to them, and it'll be beneficial to that DB room as a whole, uh, probably defense as a whole, as he's going to kind of help um, what's going to be a pretty inexperienced secondary, um, even linebacker, really. The only experience on that defense you're going to see is Cam Hayward and TJ Watt. There have been talks of them possibly bringing back Bud Dupree, uh, but he's not what he once was when he was initially with Pittsburgh. Um, but losing Cam Sutton, um, you know, obviously they have Minga Fitzpatrick. But I think overall they're going to need to bring in a young guy as well. Uh, they don't have a whole lot of depth on that back end. And I think it'll be interesting to see how they go about doing that. But, yeah, good signing uh, contract-wise and fit-wise for Pat Pete. Um, but, yeah, pretty much wraps up that. Just gave three choices real quick. Um, the Ravens didn't really do anything. Uh, all they did other than restructure guys and cutting guys was they re-signed their fourth best safety. Uh, they traded their third best safety to the Jets and they re-signed their third best running back. So not a whole lot going on, obviously. Can't really do much with the whole Lamar situation at the moment. Nobody has signed Lamar to an offer sheet. As far as I know, nobody has reached out to him. Um, so as of now, it looks like that he's going to be um, on the franchise tag. He has until week 10 to sign an offer sheet so that'll be interesting in itself um but nonetheless i don't think he's gonna leave baltimore as of now i just i don't know what to think of it i don't know what the current situation is with other teams obviously the colts are a team that could look at him but for the most part i just don't think he's gonna go to the colts uh with the colts having to get up give up fourth overall um next year's first and pay him um so that doesn't really help with a rebuild when you're allocating that many resources to one player. So um, it's kind of where it is right now. I don't think really anyone else is going to reach out other than the Colts that I can think of at least this year, maybe next year it'd be a different conversation, but for now I don't think anyone's going to reach out, but that's pretty much it on that front. Yeah. I mean the Lamar thing, I, I think we, we, I think we're past the whole collusion thing. Um, it's just not. And that's what's happening. I just don't think teams want to do the framework for the Ravens. I think the, I think the general thought is the Ravens do this exclusive, the non-exclusive tag because they don't. You know, it's like they, they were to stalemate. They, they couldn't find common ground with Lamar, which is evident, right? So they said, "Hey, we're going to let other teams do it for us." Which it, again, I, I get that, but at the same time, it's like if I'm the Colts or the Jets, if Rogers, this whole Rogers thing falls through, like I don't want to do all the work for the Ravens. Why would I do that? So, um, why put all the time and effort in reaching out to him and, um, you know, making the contract work just for Baltimore to match it? So it'll be interesting to see how this kind of plays out. Um, someone's gonna have to fold at some point, or Lamar plays in the tag. <laughs> I don't know what happens at that point. So, um, it's quite the intriguing sauce. I mean, we're in uncharted waters. This is never, nothing like this has ever happened before. So it'd be interesting to kind of see how this plays out.
Yeah, it's definitely unprecedented. Um, but something that kind of has been talked about as of late is that back when Lamar and the Ravens were negotiating before the season had kicked off, um, there were kind of days where they would negotiate and they'd have a good day of progress um, negotiating contract. And then he'd come back the next day and it'd kind of be like restarting, like him trying to figure out what they want and kind of like restarting negotiations as if they didn't take anything from their previous day of negotiations. So what's been talked about in that front is that some people believe that he would, you know, show his latest offer to the NFLPA when he was not at the facility or like tell them a little bit about it and they would kind of push him to get a better deal. So it seemed like honestly, Lamar was fine with a couple offers that the Ravens offered. It's just the NFLPA is getting in Lamar's ear a little bit too much. And that's kind of leading to him refusing to sign a deal less than the guarantees he wants. Um, so it's kind of confusing to me. Um, I don't know exactly the Ravens best offer. I know that they did have an offer back in September that was up to 200 million guaranteed. It was 175, um, like pretty much baseline. It was like a five-year, maybe six-year, $290 million, so about 48-something a year. Um, so a really good deal um, and a lot of guarantees. That's pretty much where it stands right now. I don't know what's going to happen or when it's going to happen, but you would think by the draft we would know what the deal is for at least this upcoming season. So about five weeks for that. Um to see kind of what the deal is for this season if nothing happens by the draft he's gonna i guess sign the franchise tag or continue negotiating whatever but i mean ravens won't have any draft picks for him so that'll be interesting um but i guess to round it out round out episode 42 we have the ice bath we're each going to touch on a little something sports related today that didn't quite make the cut of the episode um i'll let you start off then i'll round it out yeah, um, didn't want to talk too much Chargers during the middle of our free agency segment. I just wanted to kind of get a couple other deals in there, shed some light on some other teams. Um, tried to pick teams that made signings that weren't the same as yours. I think I did a pretty good job of that. Um, but Chargers retained their right tackle, Gary Pipkins, at three years, just under $22 million, like $21.75. So we're under $22 million, um, which is a great deal. I think, you know, getting a, a, a right tackle of his caliber um, – you know, 7.25 million a year is, is a great deal for them. I think he played at an above average level. Um, obviously not an all pro, not a pro bowler. I'm not making him out to be anything more than he is, but he's an above average right tackle. He played at a, an above, you know, average replacement level. Um, and he battled through a lot of injuries. I think he, had, you know, he had, I want to say in week four, I think week four, he heard his MCL, sprained it and kind of played with it for the whole year. So, um, you know, toughed it out, which I love to see. Um, and then also they signed a uh, former Vikings linebacker, Eric Kendricks, to a two-year deal worth around $13.5 million. I think is just under, like 13.45, something like that. Um, but another another really good deal. Um, you know, Clearly they have the connection, obviously, with Ryan Ficken, their special teams coordinator, being with the Vikings before, and they just hired a linebackers coach over from the Vikings um, after they fired their linebacker coach from last year. So obviously move over. Kind of get a change there. Um, kind of letting Drew Tranquil walk and then bringing in Eric Kendricks. But I like the move. I think it's a veteran. He's a veteran player. Um, I think he's still playing at a high level. He was an All Pro two years ago, which obviously, you know, if I could get the guy two years ago, that'd be great. But he's not two years ago. But again, I think he's still playing a good ball. Um, really good coverage linebacker. 
high IQ. He's been one of the most consistent linebackers in the league since he came in in 20. Shoot, when did he when did he get drafted? Because he's 32. Um, next, he's 31 right now. Probably so like I don't know when. I think that sounds right. So since he came into the league, 2014 ish, 2013, he's been one of the most consistent backers in the league. So um, really excited about that. I think get, again, keeping Pipkins it was huge. Um, getting Kendricks was really big as well. I think he's going to help Kenneth, Kenneth Murray. Obviously, they've got to let it kind of let it play out with him in his final year of his rookie deal. I don't think they're picking up the fifth year. Um, I don't know when the, the deadline for that is. I don't know off the top of my head, but I know that they're probably not going to pick up the fifth year for Kenneth Murray. Kind of a prove it year for him. So big to get Kendricks in there. Um, probably going to call the defense unless they sign John Johnson. If they sign John Johnson, I bet the, I bet that he calls defense for Staley because that was Staley in 2020 when he was at the Rams. So, um, but I'm a big fan of the suit signings. I'm glad to say they did it. Um, good offseason so far for them. Nothing, nothing flashy, but um, to re-sign the right tackle, they brought back their punter. They brought back Donald Parham. They brought back Morgan Fox, who's the IDL, kind of a pass rush specialist who had a great year last year for them. Obviously, re- you know, replace uh, Tranquil with Kendricks at the linebacker one spot. So um, big fan of what they've done so far, and um, you know, glad they kept it all together and all in for next year. So um, kind of gives them BPA at 21, which I love to see. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I like the moves as well. Uh, I think they're pretty good fits and pretty good spots that they made the moves at. Um, Kendricks was drafted in the second round of the 2015 draft. So I think he was in college a little for a little while, a little bit older coming out of college. Um, hence, it's only, I guess this is his ninth year in the league. So, um, yeah, I mean, three good moves for them all around to three bigger ones. Um and I think they'll pay off. I think, you know, continuity is great across the offensive line. Obviously, bringing in a vet leader uh, in the middle of the defense is big, too, and what is a younger linebacker room. So I think yeah. overall it'll it'll pay off, and it'll – I think in the games that are close, you'll see more of a difference, especially on defense, having his leadership, something you kind of didn't have quite to the extent last year. Obviously, you had guys that have been around um, – but on every level now, you have a vet leader that has kind of seen it all, can do it all, and, you know, provide that leadership that you need. Um, but my uh, ice bath is that, so we mentioned earlier, Tom Hoagie shot the course record 62 on Saturday at TBC Sawgrass. The previous record, 63, held by Cole Nost, a PGA Tour member as well. He was not on playing on tour. Uh, he was he was golfing on a random course. Um presumably somewhere close to TBC Sawgrass. And he was watching Hoagie live because him obviously holding the record of this prestigious course of a 63, no one's broken it. Um, Hoagie was close. He was on pace too. And he was watching and he was about to hit his approach shot um, in the fairway. And he saw Hoagie sink the putt to break the record and he was going crazy. Um, You know, obviously – a little bit upset, but also just like in shock too, like just going crazy that he shot a 62 at a really hard course. Um, obviously happy for him as well, but probably tough to see your record get broken. Um, I assume that's probably the only course record he has, at least notable, not like his like local public course, but uh, definitely sucks if I were him. That kind of sucked, but at the same time, uh, it's going to happen eventually, so... Cool to see Hoagie play really, really well on Saturday and overall, of course, of the weekend. Um, yeah, pretty much wraps up episode 42 today, a little over an hour. Um, yeah, covered a good bit of stuff. Obviously, 
we're moving our normal episodes to the Thursday, Friday time frame now. Uh, a little late with this one being on a Saturday. But uh, the first edition of Mock Draft Monday is going to come out this Monday um, at probably early in the day. Um, I'll, we're going to have I'll, probably schedule, I'll, I'll schedule it to post in the morning probably. Cool. So anytime on the day, anytime during Monday that you want to listen to, feel free. Um, it's going to be, you know, Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Google, wherever you listen, Cold Seat Podcast. Um, episode 43 will be next week. We're going to be previewing, um, you know, Sweet 16. We're going to have an NHL standings update, the latest in golf, you know, maybe a Masters preview next week or the week after as well as, you know, any of the latest NFL signings. Uh, maybe a Rodgers trade recap if that goes down. Um, but, you know, who, who knows? We still – a lot of stuff still could go down. Still a lot of, you know, highly talented free agents. You have Dalton Schultz, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, uh, Bobby Wagner, Jadavian Clowney, Odell, Marcus Peters, DJ Chark, Adam Thielen. So a lot of guys that could still get signed. Um when they get signed, I guess that's to be determined. But nonetheless, um, we will cover it here if it does happen. So stay tuned. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Cold Seat Podcast. And we will see you all Monday for the first Mock Draft Monday. See you guys soon.